Good morning. How's everyone? Good, good. My name is Eric. If you don't know me, I would love to get to know you, help you connect to our church uh, after the service out in the courtyard. And so uh, just look for that. We give you a gift, help you uh, get to know our church family a little bit better. Uh, Just a quick reminder, if you see some of the dads walk in with sore backs or slow, it's because they forgot they weren't 20 last night at the father-daughter dance. And so uh, we had fun. That's why the courtyard is decorated. You can see. And just a gentle reminder, I think it's important uh, to say, you know, I think sometimes we get labeled maybe a really conservative church. Um, I would argue we're a Bible teaching church. There's a difference. Uh, But what's important with that balance is uh, that you have fun. It's good to have fun. And it's good to have fun with Christians and know that Jesus is fun. And there's lots of hard things. And God calls things. But that not, does not mean that we don't have fun. And there's a Christian way to have fun. And just keep be mindful of that with your kids, with your friends, with your family, um, that it's good to enjoy the Lord and to do that in community. So just keep that in, in mind. Uh, this morning, we're going to pray for um, our Me- Mexico missions team going down in high school. Uh, we're blessed at our church that every year uh, we send a group of high school students with some adults, but it's always fully funded. God provides it. And so uh, we view this as an extension of us. They're going to go and build homes. Um, But more importantly than that, they're going to preach the gospel. They're going to share the gospel with uh, the families. They're going to do a VBS and and teach God's word to the children and hopefully uh, plant seeds and see people turn to know Jesus. Um, We do that in connection with a local church. So we don't just go share and leave and say, figure it out. And so uh, it's, it's our heart that they would be able to do that. And then also just pray for their safety, uh, pray that our kids would return home safe, uh, that they would share their faith, that they would grow in their faith, that God would grow uh, the group together in their relationships. And so uh, in this commissioning, I'm going to pray for them. They're going to leave later this week. They'll come back towards the end of spring break, and I'll have a chance to just see all that God did and celebrate him through that. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll get into our sermon. God, we thank you uh, just that we get to send um, young kids to go and share the gospel. I pray that their faith would be strengthened, uh, that they would see you known uh, in another language. They would see you working in another country, uh, and it would just put a deep desire for them to continue to share their faith, um, to know that you're working all around the world, uh, not just in Bakersfield. I pray you would grow our group together. Uh, that they would be strengthened and affirmed and firm in their faith, uh, that the adults and the students would grow together. They would come back loving you more, wanting to be more like your son, Jesus. Uh, Pray as a church, we would love them and celebrate them and help them in their faith. Uh, We just pray as we transition to the sermon that your words would be high and lifted high, that we would um, hold them serious, we would weigh them serious, uh, that your word would illuminate our hearts It would teach us and draw us close. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so again, we're in Matthew chapter 7. If you want to turn there, um, this is, you know, one of the scariest passages in all the Bible. And the the hard part about preaching this sermon is the people who end up scared are usually the people who shouldn't be scared. And the people who are fine are the ones that you wish were scared. And so we just, we want to be clear uh, on on this passage and on this text Um, This is that kind of text where people go, Pastor, you know, you're being really harsh and you're you're being really mean. And, you know, can't we just love God and love people and call it a day? 
And um, the, the other part of that, what people like to do is, well, you know, it doesn't really matter unless the words are in red and Jesus said it. Did Jesus actually say that? Well, here's the thing. The words are in red and Jesus said it. Okay? And then it's not, it's not easy and it's hard. And so what you got to kind of prepare yourself to do is to not focus on me and focus on what I'm saying. What you have to focus on is do I believe the text that it says what it says and it means what it says? Because ultimately, you have to make a decision. And that decision is, do I believe what Jesus is saying? And if I don't, on what basis am I going to say, no, Jesus, that, that's mean, that's harsh. No, Jesus, that doesn't work that way. If you were to stand before the Lord, how would you communicate to him? You know, you got a lot of things right. But that Matthew 7 part, you're kind of off. So I had to redirect it a little bit and change some things. And um, I, just, I fixed that for you. And that's what you're called to. You, you don't get to just go, oh, well, the passion. Well, it's, it's what the text is saying. So let's hop in and, and examine some of this. Um, but that's the mindset you have, to, you have to come with it. Is This is God communicating to us. And this is God communicating to us how to be in a relationship with him through Jesus. And that's why it's so important. You don't just read Matthew 7 in this small little pericope. You have to read the whole Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is telling them from Matthew 5 forward, this is how you participate in the kingdom. This is how you become a child of God. This is how a child of God acts. And this is what you need to do. So let's hop right in. Oh, real quick preface, verse 12, because it's kind of this orphan verse, right? It says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is why the law and the prophets exist, right? So uh, a lot of commentators, they disagree on what to do with this. Here's where I'm going to put it. I'm going to say it goes in the previous section. Here's why. As it was talking about prayer, asking and seeking and knocking, I think the natural correlation is this, that if you're praying actively with God and you're confessing your sin and you're bringing your needs before him, you're going to notice that, that we don't always get what we want and, and that we, we have hard conversations with God. Uh, we confess our sin, and in that, you're going to notice that God deals with you graciously, kindly, patiently. He's gentle with you. He's honest with you. And as you're communicating with the Lord and you're seeing how he deals with you, it then teaches you how to deal with other people. And saying, in the same way as God is dealing with you, deal with others. Because you'll see later on, Love as you have been loved. That's the correlation. And so the way you want to be treated is the way God treats you. He loves you perfectly. He's kind. He's gracious. He's patient. He's honest. He's truthful. He tells you what's best, what's needed. And so as you're praying through that, it's shaping you on how you're to act towards other people because that's how God is acting towards you. So I think that's how it fits. So that kind of bookends that piece. And then he makes a hard turn right here. So now let's take our hard turn into the broad road. And here's, here's where it gets hard, okay? And here's where I need you to just look at the text. It says there's a narrow gate and there's a broad road, right? So verse 13, the wide, easy way leads to destruction and those who enter it are many. 14, there's a narrow gate. Those who find it are few. Many go to hell, few go to heaven. 
That's your text. Okay? I'm not making it up. I'm not fluffing it up. It's right what the text says. And so it's important to understand that distinction. Now, here's the second distinction you have to understand. He's not talking about non-Christians. He's talking to Christians. He's warning Christians, hey, there's going to be a lot of you that think you're going to heaven and you're not. Like, pastor, you're making that up. Let's look at our text a little bit more. Okay, What does he say in verse 15? Beware of false prophets who will come in sheep's clothing, but actually be wolves. Well, who are sheep in the Bible? Christians, who's the great shepherd? Christ. And what does Christ do? Draws the sheep, leads the sheep, feeds the sheep. He's saying there's going to be false teachers that come looking like Christians, and they're not. And then how does he end it? He said there's going to be people that come and they cry, God, God, Lord, Lord, I did work in your name. And he's going to tell those people who think they're Christian, you're not Christian, you're not going to heaven. He's talking to Christians. And he's warning them. Some of you think you're a Christian, but you're not. And so it's important we get that distinction in our minds right away. And so to actually think through it. So he starts off by saying, there's, a, there's only two roads. There's the broad road. There's the narrow road. There's the narrow gate. And he walks through. This is what it means to be on the narrow. This is what it means to be on the broad. Now, with that in mind, you have to go back to kind of these terms. You're like, pastor, you're making this complicated. Bible just says, love God, love people. Okay, now here's what I want you to think about. Bible does say that. But do, we love God, true, but here's the question, on whose terms? Do we love God on our terms or his terms? I want you to imagine and saying to your spouse, because it doesn't work in any relationship. I'm going to do whatever I want and call it love. Okay? Imagine your spouse says to you, you know what, honey? I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to listen to you. When we're in public, I'm not going to be seen with you. But I'm never going to cheat on you. And we're going to call that love. And then when I see someone cheat on their spouse, I'm going to tell you, see, it could be worse. I could have cheated. All I do is ignore you and want nothing to do with you. But we're going to call it a marriage and we're going to say I love you. Does that work in any terms? If you want that in your marriage, come talk to me. We have serious things to work through, okay? Not enough time in this sermon for that. But no, this is the, what is the Sermon on the Mount? It's God saying, these are my terms. This is what it means to be in the kingdom and to be a child. And it's through his word, he's going to shape what that relationship means. It's how he's going to communicate what it means to be in there. So it's important. When you're looking at the narrow road, you're walking the ways he tells you. The broad road wants Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord, not King. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to do it, when to do it, where to do it. I get to decide all that. And so if that's you, the question you ultimately have to answer is, on what basis do I say this part of the Bible is not okay, and this part is? On what basis do you say, hey, God, you know what? I don't need to listen to that. Okay, set my stage. Now let's go 2 Timothy 3.16. This is what I mean. It says, all scripture, not just the ones in red, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, 
training in righteousness, and the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Because here's the thing, the narrow road will tell you how to walk the road according to the word of God. And so on what basis do you pick and choose? Now here's some of the arguments. Be like, well, the word of God is written by man. Do you know every book is written by man? You guys didn't even blink. Think about it. Every book is written by a man. Okay? This book says is written by God through men. You still have not answered the question. And on what basis are you going to tell God, you know what? Jesus, forgiving of my sin, I accept it. But gender, marriage, LGBTQ, divorce, gossip, slander, yeah. You didn't, know, you didn't see that coming, God. So I trust you here, but I don't trust you there. On what basis are you going to tell God and reject that? When his book says all of it's profitable, all of it's for teaching, all of it's for right relationship. See, the narrow road is guided by his word, which is written down in our Bibles. This is why you see later in the New Testament, they develop the narrow road is walked through the teaching, preaching, studying, and understanding of God's word. Titus 1, 13 through 14 says, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. He's saying, Titus, teach them the Bible so that they stay on the narrow road. They don't wander into myths, Jewish myths, and they don't turn away from the truth. The narrow way is formed and shaped by the word of God. And he says, Titus, you need to teach them this truth. That's why he tells them in Titus 1, teach the trustworthy word as taught. It's what guides the people on the narrow road. It's the broad road. It's going to pick and choose. The broad road's easy. I mean, think about this. It's saying to be a Christian is hard. It says it right there in your text. 14, it's narrow and the way is hard. The wide gate, it's easy and it's destruction. Well, why is it easy? Because you pick and choose what you want to do. God's constantly approving my behavior. I'm awesome. I just say that part of the Bible doesn't apply anymore. It was written a long time ago. Well, why does the part about Jesus paying for your sin matter? Well, because it has to matter. On what basis do you reject one and accept the other? So the rest of the New Testament is developing the thought, listen to the full counsel, weight, word, totality of God's word. It's what keeps you on the narrow. Isaiah 55, 11, shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. On what basis do you say, God, your word worked for a hundred years, but it stopped? It's not accomplishing your purpose for marriage, parenting, finances, social ethics, working environments. It's insufficient. What does it say? It's never insufficient. It's never empty. It's never void. It's never lacking. God wrote it. It accomplishes what he says it will accomplish. So then to walk the narrow road, how do you figure these things out? 
How do you know? Is, is that guy telling the truth? Is that right? Is that wrong? Is that a wolf in sheep's clothing? Let's come to Acts 17. I want you to see this. It's modeled for us in the New Testament. It says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas and away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, none of these Jews were more noble than in Thessalonica. They received the word with eagerness. Now watch this. Examining the scriptures daily to see if the things were so. Can you imagine? The apostle Paul shows up. And they're like, whoa, 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 Paul, slow your roll. I got to check that out. They're like, oh, okay, that seems good. The apostle Paul shows up to your church. And what's their response? I don't know, Paul. I don't know. You used to kill us. Let's make sure. You weren't always there, right? And so it says they made sure. They examined and studied the scriptures. And then what do they do? Verse 12, many of them therefore believed. That's what you do on the narrow path. You are shaped by the word of God because those are the conditions of the relationship. It's the nature of the relationship. So when it says, hey, just love God, love people. Yeah, you love God on his terms according to his word, his way. It's not love if you just pick and choose how you love him. He's not king. That's what the book of Matthew's getting at. He's savior, he's king. That's why he says, you workers of lawlessness. At the very end, he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, the broad road. They're not working under the law of God. God has written out, this is what it means to be my child. This is what it means to be a citizen of heaven. And it says the people who are on the, raw, the broad road don't practice the law. They're anti, this is what God tells you to do. This is where some people say, well, hey, I, but I said a prayer 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Doesn't that count? Doesn't that mean something? Read James 2.19. It says even the demons believe. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe. So the demons believe and they're Trinitarian. And they fear God. They shudder. He's saying, what credit is that? Even the demons understand God is Trinitarian, three in one. He exists and they should be scared and they're staying in hell. See, the broad road, it's, it's taking Jesus as Savior and it's not making him as Lord. It's not taking the full weight of what he says and then practicing it. The Sermon on the Mount, he is laying out, this is what it means to walk the narrow road. You practice right relationship, practice righteousness. You mourn over your sin. You pray for your enemies. You treasure Christ above all things. You love him more than anything. You love him so much that everything fails in comparison. It's walking it out. It's right relationship. See, the broad road doesn't want a relationship. The broad road is like, uh, they've, you see it, he says, get away from me, I never knew you. It'd be like going to the White House and saying, hey, I know the president, let me in. The president's like, I don't know him, that's great, he knows me, but I don't know him, why would I let you in? See, this is what Jesus is getting at. The narrow way is someone who is practicing the relationship and knows God is Father and Jesus is King through the help of the Holy Spirit, Trinitarian. 
And so when you think through that, well, how do I separate Broadway and the narrow way? The, the narrow way is motivated by Christ. He's the motivating factor in your life. Uh, I want you to think through this. You understand this fundamentally in marriage as well. If you buy your wife flowers and then you go, here, honey, but then you follow that statement with, now you can give me a back rub or, hey, now you owe me a kiss, right? You're trying to purchase behavior with behavior. It's like, keep your flowers. I don't need another thing to take care of. I didn't ask for them anyways. True, ladies? Okay, uh, now's your chance, right? The pastor's telling you, right? Go, go for it. But if, but if the husband's like, you know what? I got you these. I was thinking of you. I love you. Then it's like, I'll keep the flowers. I'll keep the flowers. Why? He was thinking of me. He loves me. The motivation matters. The action is the same. What's the difference? The motivating factor behind the action. And so in, in our world, you can look really Christian and not be Christian at all. Why? Because they praise you if you're tolerant, if you're inclusive, if you love all things, if you're nice, they praise you and celebrate you. And when the motivating factor is for you to get more love and more praise, more invites, more likes, more wants, more peace, the motivating factor is wrong. Therefore, you're on the broad road. The motivating factor has to be, I love Christ. I treasure him. My roots are wrapped around him. Where am I getting that? That's where you bear fruit. You have deep roots rooted in Christ. That's John 15, and it bears fruit. So the broad road is not motivated by Christ. It's not simply believing more than that. So then how do you know you're on the narrow road? Well, the narrow road starts with everything I do is motivated by Jesus. That's why it says you hunger and thirst for righteousness, Matthew 5. You have to read the Sermon on the Mount in the totality of Matthew 5 through 7. Otherwise, all of these gets missed. You're hungry. So I want my marriage to be underneath the authority of God's word. I want my parenting to be underneath the authority of God. I want my relationship at work to be underneath the authority of God. I want to live as a citizen in Bakersfield, California, in America, as a child of God under his authority. Everything I do, I hunger and I thirst for that right relationship that God would have of me. This is why he says, the narrow road is hard. If someone tells you, man, being a Christian is easy, they're doing it wrong. I'm not making it up. The text says, the narrow way is hard. Verse 14, lays it out. It's hard. It's absolutely hard. Now, some of you are saying, I'm still, I still don't know if I'm understanding the difference between the broad and the narrow. Let's look at verse 18 really quick. I want you to see this. He's saying, a healthy tree cannot bear Bad fruit. What's he getting at? I want you to think this. Think through this with me. Paul Washer gives a really good illustration in this. He says, imagine, you know, and this is always my worst nightmare, by the way. I wake up like three times a night thinking this. 
Let's say I show up 30 minutes late to the sermon, right? That'd be so embarrassing. Anyway, so I show up 30 minutes late. You guys are clearly angry. Like, dude, we've been waiting on you all morning. And I'm like, so, hey, guys, I got, I, got, I got a story for you. I'm like, I was on my way here, Westside Parkway, got a flat tire. And all of a sudden, I'm changing the tire. That doesn't seem believable, but in this story, I am, right? Lug nut rolls out into the highway. I step out, and a 30-ton logging truck just nailed me, going 100 miles an hour. Some of you are you're slowly catching on what's happening, right? right? There's no way you got hit by that truck and showed up on that stage. There's absolutely no way. Here's the point, and it's beautiful. How much bigger is Jesus Christ than a 30-ton, 100-mile-an-hour logging truck? There's no way you meet him and stay the same. There's no way you come across and you get hit by that truck and you don't look absolutely different than the way you were before. There's no way you step on this stage after getting hit by a truck like that and look the same. Simply what he's saying, there's no way you encounter Jesus. He forgives you of your sin, gives you a new heart, gives you a new spirit, and there's no evidence or fruit of that relationship. It's simply impossible. It would be like in Acts chapter nine when Paul is walking and he saw and he encounters Christ and he sees the resurrected Jesus and Jesus tells him, you, I am real and you are gonna go preach to the Gentiles and you're gonna do this mission. And Paul looks at him and goes, no, I'm good. I'm not, I like, I mean, it's kind of sad that you're real and I'm gonna go lie to all these people, but I really kind of prefer my pharisaical, power-grabbing, hungry-grabbing job but it was nice meeting you. Saying that is simply impossible. When you meet Jesus and he gives you a new heart and he gives you his spirit and he sends you out, the absolute connection is fruit. There is no other way. It is impossible for an unhealthy tree to bear fruit and it's impossible for a healthy tree to not bear fruit. That's what your text is saying. It's impossible. So when you look at your life, am I on the narrow road? The natural question is, am I bearing fruit? What are the fruit of the Spirit? Go read Galatians 5, 22. And is that fruit rooted in, I want to please Christ? That's John 15. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Take John 15, Galatians 5, overlap them. Boom, Matthew 7, it'll all pop for you. So those are the questions we have to ask ourselves. Some of the fruit, it's within the Sermon on the Mount. You're mourning your sin. You treasure Christ. You pray for your enemies. You forgive people because you're forgiven. Your time, your talent, your treasure, you put it before Christ. You say it's his. Everything you have, you bring before the Lord and you say, what do you want me to do? Now here's where some of us are maybe still struggling, but... There's just some people and they, they just, they seem Christian and, and then, but then like they're not. And I, I just don't understand. The Bible speaks about this. The Bible speaks about this. Let's go to Luke chapter eight, 13 through 15. He says, on the rock are those that when they hear, important why we talked about our Bible, it's why we set our framework so heavy on the Bible. They hear the word, they receive it with joy. So this is the appearance of fruit. Because joy is one of the evidences, right, in Galatians 5. 
but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. Here's what happens. People hear that Jesus pays for their sin on the cross, and that they can be made right before a holy God, and they can be saved from hell, the road of destruction, and they can go through the narrow gate to heaven, and they get excited, and they're celebrating until hard times come. Until God says, you know what, your child's going to, this is going to happen. Or you're going to get cancer. You're going to lose your job. He says, a time of testing. And they go, forget it. I want nothing to do with it. Why does that happen? Because they were never a Christian. It had no root. See, sometimes you know you're a Christian. You find out for the first time you're a Christian. I'm not saying you weren't, but you find out when you have no earthly reason to love Jesus and you continue to love Jesus. When it literally might cost you that relationship with your kid. When it might cost you your job. When it might cost you one of your deep, long friends. When it might cost you people thinking you're nice and friendly. They might call you names and hate you and disinvite you when it actually costs you something and you say, there's no, I cannot deny Christ. I cannot not love him. Even though everything is screaming, he's not real. He doesn't love you. He's not there. I cannot because you're rooted in him. The next part, when else does this happen? Verse 14, as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, but they go on their way and they're choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. So like, oh, yeah, yeah, I want my sins paid for. Oh, yeah. But when it comes to, but oh, I'd have to give up that? No. And give up that? No. And my time and my, and my activities and the way I treat my spouse and the way I, I, I look at my finances and the way I have fun? And, no. I want to go have fun. I want to go to the I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want to be tied down. I don't want someone telling me what to do. It's infatuation. It sounds good. They love the idea, but hate the reality. They want him as savior. They don't want him as king. This is why Matthew is so latent and heavy with king, savior, king, savior, king, citizen of heaven, child of God. This is who you are. Saying as a Christian, when the cares of this world and the trials of this world come on you, you will not turn from Christ. Or you're the prodigal son. You always come back. You might wander a little bit, but you come back. Because you simply cannot unwrap yourself from Jesus. Because he is yours and you are his. That's why verse 15, in the good soil, there are those hearing the word. Again, this is why we focused on the Bible at the beginning. How do you process the word of God? Hold it fast. Listen to these words. In an honest and good heart, bear fruit with patience. It's saying the Christian knows with patience means I'm not always going to love what's going on. I'm not always going to like what's going on. But I'm trusting that God will bear fruit in me through this. No one plants a tree and an apple pops out the next day. If you do, you're going to be a billionaire. Come talk to me. Yeah? It doesn't work that way. 
Christian is waiting and waiting and trusting. That's why when we go to Hume Lake, they'll be like, hey, you know, 10 kids gave their life to Jesus. Are you excited? Let me see in six months. Let me see in six months that the cares of the world, the testing and trials of the world, was it just infatuation or did they get hit by a 30-ton truck going 100 miles an hour and forever changed? That no circumstance and no worldly pleasure could ever change or take away. It can tempt them, but it can't take it away from them. So as you keep thinking through that, you can't encounter Jesus and ever be the same. Now he moves on. So we know there's the broad road, the narrow road. Now there's going to be false teachers that come and try to trick you. Verse 15 says, beware of them. These are false prophets. They're going to come in sheep's clothing. But they're actually going to be ravenous wolves. Again, recognize them by their fruits. And then jump, jump down. Those false teacher, false teachers are going to lead people to think that just because they do fancy work, that somehow they're a child of God. Notice, they say, we cast out demons in 22. We, we prophesied and we did works in your name. And what's Jesus' response? You might have used my name, but I don't know you. You say you know me, but I don't know you, worker of lawlessness. He does not say, look at these miracles they're doing, therefore they have to be saved. Nope. Well, how did they get like that? They got like that because of wolves dressed in sheep's clothing, not holding to the word of God, not holding to what it means to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, loving him on his terms, loving him that he gives, he takes. Just some quick side notes. False teaching is going to, let's think through this. We're hopefully, we understand, we're smart enough to understand this, right? If you see a man with, in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork, you don't follow him and say, that looks like fun. Right? That, that's Satan. That's obvious. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. He's going to look Christian. He's going to look like a sheep. Satan is the father of lies. And so you're going to get a pastor or a teacher. And they're going to walk up and say, you know what's wrong with you? You're not loving yourself enough. You're not being the true you. And everyone who's mad at you just doesn't understand you. You want to know what you're guilty of? Not loving yourself enough. That's right. You need to work harder at being happier. That's what God designed you for, to be happy. And God wants to give you money. God doesn't ever want you to suffer. And you're like, I like this preacher. Well, he's on the broad road and he's leading you to the broad road. Because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says over and over again, repent, change, be like Christ. The Bible doesn't say, try harder, be you. You only live once. Be the best version of you. No, it says, be like Christ. We're terrible. Conform to Christ. That's why it's a hard road. That's why the Bible says it's hard. You know how easy it is? Just try harder to love yourself. Be more selfish. That's an easy sermon. 
That's an easy road. I don't care if I get divorced. I need to be me. You do you. If that leads in divorce and just ruins our kids, who cares? They need to be themselves. So if they want to be angry and rebel, whatever helps them, helps them. Broad road. There's no repenting of sin. There's no submitting to Christ. There's no authority of scripture. That's your false teacher. I'm going to trust you guys can write that kind of stuff down because whenever I mention names, people get really upset. And they're like, wait, my false teacher is not a false teacher. Okay? So rather than me tell you, go listen. If you don't see the elements of the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say in verse 21? You enter the kingdom for the one who wants to do the will of the Father. False teachers don't talk about submitting to the will of the Father. They don't talk about dying to yourself. They don't talk about giving everything you have to Jesus. They don't talk about Paul being in prison and beaten and shipwrecked and bitten by snakes and hated and reviled and persecuted. They don't preach those sermons. But that's in the New Testament, isn't it? Read 2 Corinthians 6 through 10. Read the four chapters. They don't talk about Job, basically a good and righteous man. And God says, you're going to suffer because I said so. And Job's response is, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Bless God on both sides. Bible says, calls that good. Bible says that he worshiped in that moment. Because he had roots that produced fruit of faithfulness and trusting and gentleness. Yeah, and there's some times Job gets off the rails a little bit and God brings him back, reminds him who is the creator of all things, who is the author and giver of life. Some more elements in false teaching, they don't teach the whole Bible. They do not teach the whole Bible. That's if they even open their Bible. Like, Pastor, you're just cherry picking. I'm not. Matthew 28, 20. Let's, let's look at it real quick. It says, teaching them, because he's sending out the disciples. It's the last part of the book. Teaching them, and people gloss over this, to observe all that I have commanded you. All that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Why is that there? Think about this. You're going to go tell people that what they're doing is wrong. They need to repent and believe in Jesus and it's the only way to be with God and that they're saved by grace, not by works. He's like, it's gonna be rough, but I'm with you. I'm with you. Teach the full counsel of God, the full weight of it. Acts 20, 26 through 32. This is Paul. Therefore, I testify to you that I am innocent of the blood of all. He's saying, look, you guys won't repent. You won't turn. I'm innocent. Why is he innocent? Because I did not shrink back from declaring to you the full counsel of God. He said, I taught the full word of God. I am therefore innocent before God that I shared everything to you. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's warning the elders. Care for the church, which he obtained with his own blood. Seeing Christ died for that church, elder pastor, do not shrink back from declaring the full counsel of God. Do not just tell them the parts that they like. 
Tell them what it means to walk the narrow road. Why? Verse 29, because after I leave, wolves are gonna come. And they're gonna try to devour the flock. Verse 30, they're gonna come and twist the things of God. And they're gonna try to pull the disciples after them. Therefore, remember that for three years, he did not cease to admonish them with tears. He's pleading with them. He's pleading with them. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what the word of God says. This is who Christ is. This is what it means to be in the kingdom. He pleads with them. He pleads with them. He pleads with them for three years. And then verse 32. And now I commend you to God, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. See, that leads into next week, building on the foundation. And give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Give you your identity as a Christian, walking on the narrow road. So conclusion, I want you to to think through this. If you are trying to figure out where am I, the narrow road doesn't mean you're perfect and sinless. It means you absolutely care about your sin. You care about your relationship with God. And you are working not so that he'll love you because you've been impacted by him. You can't get hit by the truck and not be changed. Broad road, it's like, yeah, heaven sounds great. I don't really want to change. I just want to be better than that guy. And I'm better than that guy and that should count for something. You're on the broad road. It's not how you get to heaven. But you can say, God, forgive me of that. And I want to fall underneath your kingship, your fatherhood. And I want my sins to be forgiven. And I want to follow you forever. I want to never look back. He invites you to that process. What are some questions for us to think through? Based on the Sermon on the Mount, that's Matthew 5 through 7, how does someone know they are saved? Just think through Matthew 5, right? Mourning your sin, hungering and thirst for righteousness, praying for your enemies, Praying God's will be done, treasuring Christ above all things, asking, seeking, knocking before the Father. These are all evidences, fruits, right? Let's look through the whole two chapters. Two, why is it important to know that the gate to heaven is narrow? Because it affirms that if it's hard, you're doing it right. And not everyone that says they're a Christian is going to end up being a Christian. So it's important to test that, test what they see. Look through the scriptures. Be a Berean. Three, what are characteristics of a false teacher? Don't teach the full counsel of God. Hype you up. Don't mention repentance. Don't treat, don't treat Christ as Lord and Savior, or Savior and Lord, right? They pick one but not the other. Four, why do Christians struggle to call teaching false? Why is there this this? This fear to say that's wrong because we want to measure it against, well, I don't know. What do I know? That's fair. But the scriptures know. The scriptures know. Weigh it against your Bible. Be a Berean. That's how you stay on the narrow road. What did God say? How can I do what he said? Five, what beliefs do you hold that you assume are true but have not read in your Bible? Because those are going to be the ones that take you down the, the broad road. Thinking you're being like Christ and you're actually not. 
what the false teacher does. So it's important that we're constantly weighing our actions, intentions, our desires, all of our life underneath the word of God because we walk the narrow road. You see, it is simply impossible to encounter Christ and not be forever changed. The beauty of this is that everything we need to walk this narrow road we have in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, in his word, and in his bride, the church. And so though it is hard, it is possible, and it is to our best interest to walk that road. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you uh, for hard texts that challenge us, that convict us. Um, it's our, our prayer, Lord, that you would help us walk the narrow road. Um, God, I pray that we would be grateful that there's even a gate at all for us, that you even made a way for us to be in heaven with you where we are grateful. I pray that we would have grateful hearts, that though it is hard to walk, we would praise you, and that we get to enter the gate, not by our own work, but by your work, your son's perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection. We walk that road because of your great gift. We pray you would be the driving motivation in all of our decisions, that we would love our spouse because of the way Christ has loved us, love our kids because of the way Christ has loved us, love our neighbor and our enemy because of the way Christ has loved us, that we would be so wrapped around you that we would bear fruit in any and all situations out of the love of the Father through the Son by the Spirit. It would pour into every relationship and every action and interaction that we would seek you in private, seek you in public. We would love you everywhere we go. Pray you'd be with us in a time of response, that we would sing of how good and great you are, that there is even a gate to have and walk through. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.